Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And um, I'm really looking forward to talking to my next guest because apparently she spent some time in the bath earlier this year in UK. Alexandra Wyman is with me in the house. Hello, Alexandra. How are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm doing pretty well. Thanks. Enjoying the chilly weather here. But um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. And you say you've got chilly weather. Whereabouts is that weather? Yeah, I'm right outside Denver in Colorado in the US. Oh, so that can be that can be weather, can't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You never know here what we're going to get. Today it's sunny, but still chilly. So, Very good. And so, so you said you were in Bath earlier this year in England, in the UK. Tell me about that. What were you doing? Yeah, um, it was actually quite a few years ago, but I did a study oh. abroad for about six months um, and then extended my trip a little bit and was able to travel around. So I was um, actually studying sociology at the University of Bath. Very nice too. Oh, blimey. Yes, it's good. good interesting university down there. It was beautiful, beautiful place. It's a beautiful city and it's got some great restaurants, isn't it? I mean, really. I mean, Rachel DeMuth's restaurant down there used to be, oh, I'm just having, <laughs> a, I'm just having a moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I found it beautiful. We here um, in the U.S. sometimes don't have hold on to our history as much. So I really enjoy just being able to be part of a historical place where it's just so normalized. And I could walk around and be like, this is amazing. <laughs> We don't like have way, that here. I like the way that only an American tell us that we're living in the past and <laughs> <laughs> living on our former glories. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> it was pretty it's cool, true. especially it's around true. Christmas time. It was nice. Yeah. Now, I know we're laughing and jo- joshing and joking, but um, we're going to talk about a fairly serious subject, but we're going to bring some, um, hopefully, some entertainment, well, not entertainment, but some spirit to it today, if that's okay. So, Alexandra, tell us, a little, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do. Sure. Well, by trade, I'm a pediatric occupational therapist. So I work with children ages zero to 18 uh, on just being able to function, meet their milestones and be able to get through their day. Um, And then on the side, what I've started doing is I actually wrote a book um, called The Suicide Club. So I don't know if you do a disclaimer about that or a sensitivity alert, but I do like to let people know. Um, and so my husband passed away in 2020, uh, by suicide and our son was just over one at the time. So it was a lot that went on and I wrote a book I wish had existed when he passed lots. I got 
lots of beautiful gifts, widows journals and prayer books. Um, but nothing really helped me through the business piece or the additional drama and trauma that can happen with other people's um, grieving styles. And so I wrote a book to help guide others and to, in a way, normalize that the experience of an aftermath after a loss of a loved one so close to you, um, it, it happens and to try and be another tool in the toolbox. Yeah. Interesting. A lot of people tell me that they, the reason they've written books is that they're not going to be able to find resources. So it's, it's, it's quite interesting. But, but but you picked upon a really interesting thing there because the process of grief itself is, we'll, we'll come to yours in a minute, but sometimes dealing with other people's grief is a, is a, is a challenge, isn't it? And, and they often think by gr- by grieving so overtly and uh, so dramatically and in your face, somehow it's helping you, but it's really not, is it? It's that old thing about a trouble shared could be a trouble doubled from time to time. So, Absolutely. so what, what, what do you think is going on? Um, honestly, I well, one, I think people want to be helpful, especially after a loss. But sometimes I say that uh, people's help is not always helpful. Um, and I also think that often people will project their own ideas of grief or how to handle something onto others because it creates a sense of security and safety for ourselves. If I grieve this way, then why isn't everybody grieving this way? Yeah. And that kind of happened in my situation. There was a lot I learned about myself and how I like to grieve, but my actual grieving process did come under a lot of scrutiny initially. And I had to navigate that as well. It's okay. However you feel you need to grieve is absolutely okay. And for someone else to have an opinion or to project onto you is, is their stuff, you know, own what's yours and, and try and set up boundaries around that. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely fascinating. You'll have, we'll have to unpack that, but it's something to bear in mind, isn't it? This idea of uh, individual grief being individual, but it is fascinating how people like to moralize and contextualize and judge that you're not being overt enough, sad enough, happy enough, down enough, right. up enough. You should be dressed in black for the rest of your night life. You know, the people moralize possibly more about grief than anything else in a strange sort of way, don't they? Other than bringing up children, I would suggest. So it's quite fascinating. So, so what was your grieving process? What was critiqued by the by others? I was definitely in that bucket of there were times where I was considered too cold or businesslike. I wasn't grieving enough. Then other times, I was working through my process too quickly for other people, um, and that also triggered other people. Like, slow down. What are you doing? Are you trying to forget or erase your husband? Um, And I found in my process, I'm a private griever, so I would kind of hold it together throughout the day and for my son. And then I would find and set aside time to just let it all kind of go in the evenings. Um, I found also one of the things that was kind of remarkable for me was initially, I I used to be a a very big huggy person, like let's hug. Um, And after my husband died, I was like, please don't touch me. Don't, don't come near me. Um, And I found that people wanted to hug me so that I could comfort them. And I think that's a piece that happens is people need to feel comfort from me or whoever's in like the direct in the direct line of the loss yes. so that they feel comfort that they can then can continue moving forward. Yes. Um, so it was a really interesting thing to learn. And then I, I actually took about nine months before someone actually came to me and was like, can I give you a hug? And I let her and it was truly, she just wanted to comfort me, which was yes. really interesting. 
Yes, the intent is is different, isn't it? Um, so before we get into this, uh, before getting to your, the suicide aspect, uh, grief's grief's one of those uh, big emotions, isn't it? It's really challenging, and it's interesting your point about there's there's no right right or wrong way to grieve, but there's also no right or wrong way to deal with different types of grief. So. You mm-hmm. often find people living with an elderly spouse or something along those lines that has something like a horrible dementia, a terrible illness. And people say, I didn't really grieve when they died because actually I'd been grieving when they were alive. And, and then, you, yeah, then you have the thing which is grieving with a, a sudden loss, maybe in your, you know, later, later years, your 60s, 50s, something like that, where someone ostensibly is healthy, just drops dead. Then you've got the death of a child. And then you have the suicide thing as well. And the suicide death has a lot more wrapped around it in a way. So I wonder if you wouldn't mind just illuminating or throwing some light on what that's like. Sure. In general, I have a couple things to say <laughs> before getting like straight into the suicide thing, but I'll say no matter how how prepared you are for someone to die, I think there's still an element of shock that happens. Yeah. So even if you have been grieving, um, and I also, I think when it comes specifically um, to suicide, there's, there's so often we have things that we want to say to people and don't. And even with any type of loss. So I feel that part of that shock is, well, now I don't get to say what I wanted to say, (laughs) or now I don't get to hear from that person what I wanted to hear from them. And suicide is just even more complicated because there are so many questions. How did we get here? Often there's an idea, and I would say kind of a misconception that there are signs to it Mm. um, and or that it's planned. Um, I've been participating in a suicide support group locally um, since Sean died and I will say I've come across two people where it seems that their loved one did plan it, but the majority of people don't. And so when that happens too, it's like, did I miss the signs? Did I, did I, what, where, what did I do? Right. We start to take responsibility for the person's death as though Mm. the choice was not theirs, but somehow like I, as a wife or spouse contributed to it. So I'd say there's just a lot of, there's definitely a higher level of responsibility that we put onto it. And there's also a lot of judgment and blame that comes from society in regards to it. I've known um, and met lots of people, actually, I'd, I'd rather, I wish it wasn't lots of people where there was so much shame and guilt around the fact that their loved one died by suicide, that other yeah. excuses have been used around it, or there must be a speculation over my, my marriage. There must've been something yeah. um, extra. And so it just, it compounds the ability to even grieve because you're having to work through all of these items or or parts of it that you can't even unravel and 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 that's a really important point you're saying there because there's often the partner who's the most in the dark because actually if if there are signs they very rarely get shown to the partner and and we've had people who've committed suicide not quite committed suicide being spouses friends partners all sorts of things on this podcast and this idea that somehow there's a plan is often the, the first thing, but there's this idea that they have that they think, should I do this today? Should I do that today? Should I commit suicide today? It's part of a normal choice in their mental toolkit. I think it's Frank Bird ages ago talked about this. He's a suicide expert. And so there's no way a partner, and it's okay hearing the message because it doesn't, doesn't mean you're going to believe it, but there's no way a partner can know that because that's inside someone's head and they don't necessarily communicate it because it's so natural to themselves that they don't think, and like everybody, 
everybody thinks everybody's thinking the same thing, don't they? So it's <laughs> it's one of those challenges, you know. So, but of course, it's it's all very well saying that, but there's often a lot of guilt that hangs around suicide and a lot of judgment and such like. Um, so what what so what was missing when you said you went through the ex- this experience? What was missing as a guidebook for you? Um, well, I think part of it is exactly how to deal with other people's grief. Um, my, my situation in particular was complicated. Um, there were some threats about legal action against me. There were some whispers Uh, about potential custody over my son. So there was a lot of additional trauma that happened after. And then I was in the middle of all this business and, and I'm not sure how it's handled elsewhere. I can say locally where I am. I was told and reached out to that I would have an advocate who would walk me through how to handle an estate, how to handle the business side. And I never heard from that person. So when you have to handle bank accounts and deal with, my husband didn't have a will, um, but any anything and related to his job. I mean, all of these things where I'm like, I don't know the first thing. And it wasn't that we didn't communicate. It's just, we weren't prepared. Exactly. And why would you be? Exactly. Mm. (laughs) So that was a part of it. And then also a big thing was having an opportunity to have a guidebook or something to say, like, it's okay to set, set boundaries and you didn't cause this because you're right. The guilt and shame is immense Mm. and taking on, on that responsibility for someone else's choice or, you know, wanting to question that relationship. And and I appreciate that you're saying that the, the spouse or the partner usually is in the dark <laughs> because I was the first person that people came to and said, well, how did you not know? And I'm like, yeah. how was I supposed to know? <laughs> yeah. How could I possibly know? <laughs> Unless, yeah. And the thing is, it's, it's sort of this implication that if you'd known that you wouldn't have done anything about it as well. Well, if I, you know, I, you know, it's the maddest thing to say, but then there's, this is part of, this is part of be- deep people dealing with their own stuff, isn't it? It's, it's this, mm-hmm. it's this sort of lashing out because of people's own sense of impotence and frustration in the process. And it's the thing that the 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 nearly suicidal people say that they had no idea about. They didn't think about that. They often commit suicide because they think it's better for everybody else, and they don't yes. see it as that other way around. Either. They they don't see that they're causing a problem. They think they're solving all the problems. And I guess you exactly. you come across that in the suicide club as well. I guess I'm guessing that's something that's a useful resource, is it? Yes, and I'll say that was a big shift for me personally in getting to a point of understanding and wrapping my head, trying to wrap my head around the fact that this this is often done to spare the people living from whatever yeah. the individual is going through. Yeah, and and although we disagree wholeheartedly. <laughs> And um, I don't agree with his decision. I can understand how he got to the decision that he did. And so that was a big shift as well. Um, Absolutely. And one of the things, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go, go for it. Oh, I was going to say that I love that you touched on the idea of it being other people's own stuff essentially is because that's the way I was able to really start healing was to start looking inward. And so I had to work through my own core limiting beliefs and I had to start looking and increase my own toolbox of what projections and messages had I taken on in regards to how I viewed suicide, how I viewed my marriage, how I viewed healing and personal growth. And by starting to work through those limiting beliefs for myself, then I started to get more clarity and more healing. Yeah. So, so what methods did you use to heal? Well, and, 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 and I recognize that some of this is simple time. 
and you know because mm-hmm. time elapsed is is people don't understand that you know that there's an old phrase isn't it time he, time heals everything i mean i know it's very glib and doesn't mean everything but <laughs> but it, it is important isn't it there is a there is a mm-hmm. there is a sort of um time bound aspect of this so, but what else did you use as well as that yeah so time definitely is is a component to it I, um, I joke that I'm an Aries. So I was, I was like collecting all the resources I could. So I've seen multiple therapists, talk therapists. I worked with someone who does thought field therapy, um, and tapping. I have gone into my basement and screamed. I have cried my eyes out. I have journaled, read books. Um, I have exercised. I tapped into everything and anything that I could, um, in order and it changes, right? It's not the same. It's not going to be the same tool that's used every day. Um, but I I went to a smash room here locally and took a bat to some furniture. Good. So um my my thing is to encourage people to find the healthier ways I, I uh in order to work through those emotions because yeah. to bypass them, in my opinion, is only all you're doing is prolonging the grief. Yeah. So you have to sink into those what are normally called or typically called negative emotions. I don't like calling them those, but yeah, those, the whole myriad of emotions that you have and to sink into them and feel through all of them. And then once you do, it's amazing to go, wait a second. I just laughed at something that I haven't laughed at in months. And so to see that joy. And that's funny, isn't it? Because you can go through that grief thing and then you sort of catch yourself laughing and then you get into the, should I be laughing? Mm-hmm. is this too early would what would x have think be thinking and and it, it's interesting isn't it i mean uh it, it's it's quite prescient you and i talking because my wife and i just had a quite a long conversation about death uh, because i had a mother who had locked in syndrome so i know that i will have a, a test to see if i have it and if i have i'll go into an assisted suicide place because that's the nature of it so i've been aware of this for a long time but Couples don't talk about death. They don't talk about death earlier on. And, and this was predicated for me by thinking, if you know the day you're going to die, you you can actually live your life differently. So then why don't we just live our lives differently? And it's interesting. It's 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 really interesting because, again, I work in the, the field of relationships and I often say to newly married people, so how are you going to cope with one of, the, one of you dying? Oh, that'll never happen. You know, we're 20. This Well, let's, what, what if you do? Well, we'll live our lives at this hyper end of romanticism and think, well, why don't you just do that anyway? It's, it, but you're right at the practical level. It's that thing about you've got to know things like, well, I'm delighted if you move on and and if you find somebody else because I'd want you to be happy. So it's that thing about knowing that whatever happens, you're not imposing strange limits on yourself because of the implied opinions of your ex-partner oh 100 percent. and i think that's what's so hard is part of that grieving process too is is it too early to move forward i say we move forward not move on um but that definitely i mean you touch on so many great points of not talking about death not being comfortable with it and i and i encourage people prior i like to say do the business like get things ready when you're feeling healthy yeah. don't wait for a tragedy or for a death to have to get things together think about your spirituality prior because i will say that that where people stand with their spirituality definitely impacts their their grieving process 100 percent. and that can change oh my spirituality changed completely um after my husband passed 
Um, but I had like kind of a basis for what I believed. And then I just was like, okay, I need to do a little bit more um, soul searching to figure out where I really stand yes. with this. But I think often we also get stuck on this idea that life is linear and we have this little checklist or I call it like a little box. And, and we like to say, this is what life looks like to be successful. But the reality is that it doesn't look like that, right? Life yeah. is not, it's unpredictable. We don't know when things are going to hit us. And so I agree with you completely of live your best life now. Don't put it off. If you're not happy where you're working, yeah. find something that does light you up. If you're, if the relationship isn't working for you, like we all deserve to have that level of happiness and joy yes. and to access it. It's it's a sort of primal thing, isn't it? The, the death thing. It's if you look at all sorts of science fiction and, and philosophy and sociological moralizing, so it's like it's death that makes us human and attempts to mm -hmm. you know live longer and longer. And there's a lot of people, Peter is here and all that sort of ilk, you know, how do we live a longer, happier, healthier life? But it gets the it gets the fact that actually the, the the thing that's really important is death. And the only reason we fear it is because actually we haven't planned for the death for the thing. We have we never know what's going to happen afterwards. We, no one knows that. Even the people who have had NDEs, they don't know. Um, but we can plan for it. So we can put that thing around. I mean, I've always said that I, I want a massive party. And um, it has to be in fancy dress. It has to be Vickers and Tots. And it has to be when I'm alive. Because otherwise, for goodness sake, what would be the point of having a party when, when I'm the only person that is not there to appreciate it, who wants it, is, is the one person who would really enjoy it most. And I think... And I think we think very oddly about death as some sort of strange taboo subject. And some cultures across the world massively celebrate death and say it is almost a crowning achievement, often a point of ascension, but uh, it's sort of a challenge. So it's probably no, nothing, something, it's not something you've ever talked about before, but your attitude to death must have changed now. And I guess your attitude to suicide as well, I suppose. Both, yes. So definitely. My idea in and through this, I've I've really been challenged by meeting people who like to tell me their opinions about suicide. And then they usually put the caveat of, well, I don't really know anyone who has died that way. But anyway, I'm gonna tell you my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where that blame and judgment. And in my opinion, um, suicide is a type of death and it's no different than any other type of yeah, death. Yeah, that's right. And the individuals who die by suicide are in pain and the pain, it's not tangible. You can't see it, but they're still in pain. Yeah. And I don't think their pain is any less because they decided to end their life and get out of that pain. Yeah. I think any one of us would choose that just as you have contemplated what would happen for you and your, your projection if, if these tests turn out the way that yeah. they could. And so- that definitely has shifted. And that's where I've, I am hoping to be able to empower people to start having conversations about death, empower people to start having conversations about suicide in particular, and um, to be able to not be so afraid of death. And, and my shift has changed. I'd like to, to say like, I have a few more years because my son's almost three and a half. So I'm like, if I could have a little bit more time, but it's true, I have to have things in place and ready to go in in case something does happen to me and that doesn't mean i think often sometimes we'll think well if i think about death i'm bringing yeah. it on yes no i don't i don't align with that at all i think no. you're just being prepared to trust that you have things ready to go and when we can trust and feel prepared then the unknown is less scary that's i totally agree with you i think you said two two really think clever things there what because this is about risk 
it's it's yeah. that's what it, that's what you're doing you're managing risk um you said something else there as you were chatting um yes pain i think that's really interesting because suicide has two different determinants isn't it it's got the assisted suicide which is a really problematical moral problem for people who've never had a relative that's gone through this and and often their views change when they have and and unexpected suicide which is the thing that you've gone through because you weren't part of it um and basically you're right this this pain thing is really important and there's a sort of an empathy thing to think that person was in pain and they didn't share it with you because they were taking away from you they were sort of protecting you from it in a strange sort of way and it's it's quite a it's quite a brave step for people to take people say that suicide's cowardice but people who've had near-death experiences say it really isn't it really isn't cowardice at all it's it's not bravery either it's it's neither of those things it is just a solution a removal from pain so um so what words of comfort would you have or what words of practical advice would you have whichever you prefer to someone who's gone through suicide or experienced this situation for themselves as a surviving relative sure one of the things that i like to encourage is to find something in your life that helps you to continue living for whatever that is, if it's a person, if it's a thing, whatever it is in your life. Like for me, it ended up being my son. And Mm -hmm. I said, I have to work through my grief process for my son. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve, like neither of us, our lives don't have to be dictated by this. They're impacted, but but certainly don't have to be exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think to help because individuals who are, um, impacted by suicide are, do have a higher percentage and chance of dying that way. And so I think to have something that on those days where it's really hard to get out of bed, and even if it's just you get out of bed and take a shower, what is your one thing that motivates you enough to get out for that? Yeah, Because there are going to be days like that. You can't avoid the days where you just don't want to do anything and it hits you really hard. But to have one thing that you can hold on to. Um, And the other thing is to just keep going. And you're going to the process is you're going to feel that you've gone five steps back after you just had two victorious, you know, what steps forward. Mm-hmm. And so you have to ride the wave and just know that you can get through. I did have someone very early the day I had a deputy who had to inform me after my husband died. And it had turned out that her husband had died by suicide eight months prior. Wow. And she somehow um, had to inform me. I say she got the short stick that day, but had to inform me. And she looked at me that day and said, you're going to get through this. And I had some choice words for her at the time. Um, but I did hold on to that and and it is possible to get to the other side, um, of such a horrific experience. And the word is possible. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, it's possible not but it has to, it takes the work, doesn't it? And I love what you said about the visceral process of grief, which is going to smash rooms and such like. And I, I really admire that because I, I think people underestimate that. They try and they try and treat it as an emotional cognitive thing, but actually physiology is really important in, in expressing stuff like that. Um, so I absolutely so I'm guessing, and I may be wrong here, but I'm guessing you've written this book for people that have uh, encountered suicide, but that might be quite interesting for people who um i don't know i think for people who are before suicide or for the relatives of people who are understanding it as well because actually i don't know that we know enough about it so tell us a bit about the book where we can find it and 
and uh, when it's out and all sorts of details about it. Give us the full spiel. Yeah. So um, the book really is intended for either individuals who are impacted by suicide or I would say anyone who has lost a loved one um, in general, because there are some some good points for just the grieving process in general. Um, currently, it's available online. So through barnesandnoble.com or through Amazon. And um, it, did, it published um, recently at the end of November. So it was very exciting and um, hit the number one bestseller list within that first day. So it's a wow. really exciting endeavor and accomplishment for me personally, not anything I ever thought I would do or be in this position. Um, but I am hoping it's a tool. Um, I, I really truly believe more in having a toolbox versus having people who are the um, ultimate person to go to if that you're gurus and things like that. So this is meant to be another tool, again, to empower people to be able to start speaking about their pain and to bring more awareness to that and hopefully shift that rhetoric from what you've said of having that empathy for individuals who die this way. Um, and, I'll, and I'll say too, to the the cowardice idea, I'm like, I don't, I don't know of anyone who has found it easy to take another life nor um, cowardice and especially to take your own, to have to, to complete that. So um, this is really meant to be another resource for, for people um, through that process. Brilliant. Uh, well, fantastic. I've just found it on Amazon.co.uk. So it's over here as well. So that's great news. Lots of very, very lovely reviews. So that's excellent. So um, it's been really lovely to talk to you today. And thank you for bringing us your side of the story. Yeah. You know, it's one of yeah. those things, isn't it? It's hard for people to talk about, but sometimes part of moving on is to be able to articulate what you've gone through and have that sense of purpose as well. So how do we find out more about you or find out um, how to um, get in touch with you? You've talked about the book, but generally, is there other resources other people can get hold of as well? Absolutely. So I do have a website, forwardtojoy.com. You can also email me at alexandra at forwardtojoy.com. And it's the same on Instagram, forwardtojoy. Fantastic. Brilliant. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great. And um, we've discussed a difficult subject, but hopefully um, in a way that's uh, useful for people as well. So uh, that book, Forward to Joy, is uh, available on all, on all the online places. And the webshot site is forwardtojoy.com. And I've been talking to Alexandra Wyman. And uh, we managed to say your name th right three times now. So I'm going to pat myself <laughs> yeah. on the back of that stage and quit while I'm ahead. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, Alexandra. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to speak with you. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.